So should we should we just kick off then? I wanted to get a bit of background because um, it's quite a long way back now. It's probably about eleven years, isn't it, since you guys started out? Yeah, it's um, yeah, eleven or twelve. Yeah, eleven. Yeah, coming up to 11, nearly twelve years. But yeah, eleven about eleven and a half years, I think now. Yeah, yeah you've probably grown up now and everything. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but we um, <laughs> we definitely go for eleven and a half years. The, it's sort of a scary thing. You kind of go well. Is that I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. I think overall probably good, um, but then sometimes I mean we're super impatient, so it, it kind of feels a little bit of a reminder of all the things we haven't done in that eleven and a half years as well. Uh, I, I maybe focus on the wrong things. Uh, well, I've got I've got a twelve year old, and some some minutes it's very grown up, and other minutes it's like a four year old. So it's probably very similar to that. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so I would I, I really want to hear about if you can cast your mind back to the early days. So take you right back to um, kicking things off. And how you set things up from a supply chain point of view, and who you talk to, um, and how you how you found your third party manufacturer, and that kind of thing. So, if you can cast your mind back and sort of paint me some stories and pictures, that would be really helpful. Yeah, of course. I mean, so um, first of all, Jamie and I kind of met through friends after graduating from uni. We both graduated, and we were sort of, I guess, looking at what we might do next. And Jamie had this fairly mad idea about starting something called Candy Kittens, and he wasn't quite sure exactly what that was he had these ideas of opening a sweet shop and making sweets cool and and doing things slightly differently and and when we sat down and started talking that through it we quite quickly got onto the idea of okay well if you had a shop there aren't any cool sweets to put in the shop so hang on light bulb moment maybe we'd make the cool sweets and it was about as simple and kind of basic as i've made it sound um and then from there we started just talking to people, asking lots of questions and, and quite quickly realized that we were well and truly in the deep end. We had no food and drink experience, never mind any kind of confectionery experience. So we were really sort of trying to figure this thing out as we went along and just asking lots and lots of stupid questions. Um, and I think actually that was probably, to, to be uh, honest, a big strength, that kind of naivety and the fact we were happy to just go and knock on anyone's door and ask those questions really did us a lot of favours because um, we just weren't afraid to get all of the inevitable no's that we ended up getting. Yeah. And, and in the end, we, we found out about this trade show. There's a big show in Germany called ISM, mm-hmm. which is the sort of international um, fair for, for, for snacking more generally now, but particularly sweets is kind of how that started. And mm-hmm. we went out there and it's a, a huge, huge um, exhibition. And we spent five days plodding around knocking on doors basically going up to people's uh, exhibition stands and just asking if they would fancy making some sweets for us and most of them uh probably rightly so kind of laughed in our faces and told us where to go and um we eventually very luckily found found one company that would make our product and that was a company in spain who, who were the first manufacturer we worked with they were brilliant and really sort of supported us and helped us get off the ground and i guess bought into the vision that we had which was the tough thing at the beginning because we didn't really have any cash uh any sales forecasts any kind of firm idea of what the product was so we really needed somebody to buy into us and and believe that we were kind of onto something and for whatever reason um these guys did that where, where did you say they were in stains or some no, somewhere in, else? In, no no spain these guys were in spain, in spain. so they're in the south of spain um okay. and they were um yeah, super, super helpful. A really nice family-run business, but quite quite a big size. Um, and got us, you know, really got us moving. They they made 
they helped us develop the product um, and the first kind of iteration of Candy Kittens that were that launched then in 2014. So it took us about two mm. years to, to do wow. all of that, find yeah. the manufacturer, develop the product. And that, I guess, was partly because of a belief that we had that we knew we could make something look good, but it also had to be backed up by something that, that was good. good. So really deliver on that product. And, and did, did I think you have sometimes when... people skip that. Sorry. Did you have the brand no, go going around to, when, you were, when you were in IMS? Could you show them the, uh, what it would look like, the feel that you were looking for or not? Yeah, we had a, little, we had a few little ideas. Um, nothing kind of particularly slick or refined. Um, we were sort of, I guess, kind of uh, really faking it until we made it at that point mm-hmm. and, and just trying to convince people of what the vision was. But we had a, a small presentation, I think, with some ideas of packaging concepts and that kind of thing. But yeah. ultimately came away from IMS with um, a third party that would make your product for you. Is that? that yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we came yeah. away um, and then followed up. And then and that was that was it. We were sort of off to the races from that point. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Um, and when you, so when you were talking to the company in Spain um, and talking through your <clears throat> what was your aspiration at that point? Has it shifted slightly? Because obviously now you're a B Corp and you're carbon neutral or positive. But like at that point, was that your aspiration? What where what what was the brief you were giving them? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, not at all. That's really kind of evolved as we've got into the industry, and and the reason for that stuff is because of our experiences in in that process. So, going around speaking to these people at the trade shows or visiting some factories, and and really kind of being a bit disappointed, I guess, with what we were we were faced with. Um, it just felt like there's got to be a better way and that then pushed us on. I mean, when we started, we just wanted to make the best sweet we could. We knew nothing about gelatin or um, the, the carbon impact of the product or the problems with plastic and packaging and, and all that kind of long list. We just said, okay, how do you make the best product? And, and we did that. And then we said, okay, well, how do you make it better from here? And then you realize that you could make it without gelatin. Okay, let's make a vegan range. Okay, that really works. Let's make everything vegan, and and so on. It's this sort of um, incremental process, I suppose. Yeah. And then we learned we we got to learn about B Corp for a couple of other brands in the UK that we worked sort of closely with. Really loved the sound of what they were doing, and that then felt to us sort of like a a sort of badge of honor, a kind of rubber stamp, if you like, that wasn't just us saying we feel like we're a good company and we we believe we're doing the right things, but actually. Um, we had a, a proof point as well that this was sort of independently verified that all this stuff we we think we're doing well um has someone's tested it and and yeah we're, we're living up to a standard but but also you've set yourself this kind of goal to be the best or to make good product and that and that ultimately yeah. as time's gone on that's sort of something that comes with that doesn't it? i want to come on i'll come back to b corp in a minute um of course um okay so <clears throat> so demand planning so at that point, mm. you've got your 3PM, you roughly know how they're going to make yeah. it for you and where they're going to source things from and that kind of thing. Where, where did you go to to help you with your demand planning? <laughs> um, I mean, it was very, very unsophisticated, I'll be honest with you. So <laughs> I love we, these stories. <laughs> we essentially, to be honest, the demand planning at, the, at that stage was really dictated by the manufacturing MOQs. So we said, okay, to make that product, we need to buy, I can't remember what the number was, 100,000 units for argument's sake. 
okay, cool. That's our that's our first batch. Let's get a hundred thousand okay. units, put that in a warehouse, and then we'll just try and sell it as quick as we can. And yeah. and it sort of then started to roll like that. It wasn't until we unlocked our first um, grocery customer, so that was Waitrose that were our first customer. But yeah. then the the sort of um, the need for that demand planning and and sort of rigor in the process started to materialize and a lot of it in those early days was all on spreadsheets and very messy and clunky probably you know the story that everybody you speak to has a similar one i imagine um and then we brought in some expertise it definitely is way outside of my wheelhouse in terms of um my skill set and experience but it was then the need to say okay let's bring someone in that can help us with this so we brought uh somebody in from um uh, at that point, she, uh, somebody that was working at Universal Music and, and running a lot of their kind of physical products and their supply chain, and she helped set things up and make this, you know, build the system out effectively. That we still in uh, we've we've made it lots of different add-ons since then, but effectively still the same system that we're running today. So, can you remember how long it took to shift that first hundred k, or was that? Yeah, quite. It was quite a while. I mean, I think you probably it was. Uh, it depend on the, some of the products. The problem was we thought we would be really smart and launch with six different products. Um, the reality is that probably two or three of those are a success. And, and the, the other two or three, we maybe still got some of it lying around <laughs> somewhere now, um, way past its shelf life. But, um, you know, they, they were nice ideas, but perhaps we were the only ones that thought so. Um, I, I think probably some of that stuff in the initial, you know, you're talking about months and months at a time and we weren't, producing as frequently as we are now we were really kind of working from one production run and then we do you know wait a few months and then put in another order and another and, and sort of limp along a bit like that yeah um it was always very very touch and go and i think that until we really started to unlock multiple kind of grocery accounts in the uk that's when the business is really up and running and you know now we're we're obviously in uh, a totally different rhythm where we're producing weekly um and have this sort of constantly uh rolling program of, of manufacturing so it, it's a different beast now but yeah at that point it was make something sell it and when you nearly sold out order some more and, and, and lurch along like that yeah so, so if i take you back to that waitrose moment so you, you you've You've secured Waitrose. You've got a person. You've got a, an FTE looking after your operations. Um, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to think. When when did did she um, uh, just talk me through the tech stack at that point? So or maybe from that point onwards. At what point did you get inventory management um, software to help you manage everything? And then what did you bolt onto that? And can you remember the the process yeah so i mean uh, to be honest a lot of it as i say was really really kind of basic in terms of spreadsheets and things and, and even to the point where a lot of it was just all on sort of local machines we would we, we didn't even have now now we tend to work everything cloud-based of our stuff is through google suites in, in terms of what we're doing in terms of spreadsheet etc but we didn't have anything even close to that at that point it was all kind of excel on local machines um and the big break through was probably when we started to then use zero for accounting and realizing the kind of world that that opened up for us. And I think that's probably how we came to, to stumble across Unleashed and then start building that into our system, those sort of integrations. I think that there's also a, a real a, a real disconnect for small business and, and big 
big retailers. Um, so trying to find a solution that could sort of live up to their very slick, sophisticated systems. Yeah. And and make those two things match was quite tricky for us because we would speak to people and they'd recommend investing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds that we just didn't have in yeah. these really complex, um, I can't actually remember the name of the word for these systems. What do you call them? Is it EDI? Um, are, you talk, are, you, are you talking about EDI? Yeah, well, it, yeah, there's EDI, but there's another system I can't remember what it is. Is it ERP or something? Yeah, ERP. Um, yeah, ERP, yeah. Yeah, so these big, these big systems that kind of cover everything, and they were just no good for us because it was sort of uh, just too big for what we were trying to achieve. Um, but we needed to have EDI. We needed to work with the retailers in the way they wanted to work, and and eventually, kind of through zero, managed to kind of bolt on these different solutions. And yeah. and Unleashed was one of those that has just been fantastic because I think we put that in place probably sometime around about 2015, so very early yeah. stages of our retail sort of life as a brand. Yeah, and it's grown with us. So we've been able to sort of unlock different elements of that and bolt on and use it more and more as we've grown. So that's, that's the kind of way we like to work if we can. And we're very, um, very much sort of benefiting, I suppose, from platforms like Zero, where there's um, the associated apps and integrations that work with those. Um, that's, that's allowed us to grow kind of on our timeline and not buy into these huge systems that have all the bells and whistles up front and you probably only use one or two percent of it. Um, yeah. This is the, the other way we just add bits as we need them. And it's, I mean, like, yeah, I would say this, wouldn't I? But that 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 kind of what we call the zero marketplace or the app ecosystem is it does yeah. does enable the smaller challenger brands to take on the bigger players and play in that space more so than it would ever have done historically. Um, you know, we're in that kind of special times, aren't we? Really, from that point of view. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think, I, I mean, I, just to add to that, I'd say that, you know, as a small brand, you're constantly trying to punch above your weight, or at least we believe we are. We, we definitely are trying to punch above our weight. And if, if that's the small things in terms of making sure your presentation is better than the big guy's presentation, or, or it's the bigger things like making sure that when you process their order, it, it lands in their system in the same way that, you know, the big category leader, the big blue chip business order lands and, and unleashed has allowed us to do that so as far as waitrose were concerned whether they're placing their order with haribo or they're placing their order with candy kittens they get in that same kind of back-end system feeling and i think that the main reason why small businesses fail to succeed in retail is that they for retailers they're a pain in the butt to work with and we're, we're full of problems we're always letting them down we're always getting things wrong so the more we can do to oil the wheels and make us easy to work with the better and i think stuff like unleashed has allowed us at candy kittens to do that yeah that's great and it's heartwarming as well um so we talked about waitrose um i think we've covered that off quite nicely when was when did the next just give me a quickly the when did so you got waitrose and did, did it snowball from then or did it sort of stagnate and so, or yeah, it, I mean, it did. Uh, Waitrose have been a brilliant support of Candy Kittens and, and still are today. They're a really sort of close kind of partner and we work really well with them. But the, the retail sort of landscape in the UK is is quite, I guess, predictable in the sense that you, you sort of unlock one and they all do kind of fall quite quickly close because they're all watching each other so closely. 
Um, Sainsbury's, Tesco sort of followed Waitrose pretty quickly. Um, both of those retailers within the same year. And then uh, we then at, over time added co-op Morrison's as the, um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a good journey. We work now with all of the UK grocers. We do apart from Lidl and Aldi um, right now as a sort of premium brand, that's not the quite the right sort of fit for us. Um, but we work with everybody else and um, are still growing our distribution quite consistently. So unlocking the, the name is the first thing. And then you sort of perhaps get a very small portion of their stores. And then you have to try and go as deep as you can within each of those organizations. So I was just, still the aim. I was just reading an article that you were interviewed about HFSS and I was, I was mm. probably, it was probably a couple of years ago now, but I was just thinking, actually, it's not, it's not one of my questions actually, but how is that, how is that panning out for you? I remember I, I'm one of these nightmare shoppers that I'll go everywhere. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, and, and you know, Waitrose, Co-op, Sainsbury's, Lidl, um, and I, I see your stuff. And you've got quite—you had a big drop in Sainsbury's, a few, yeah, uh, a really big drop actually. It was probably meter, meter and a half, and it was fully you from top to bottom. And I was like, oh, hello. And I, so, yeah. I was, how's it going from that? From the kind of you were talking about it potentially level HFSS potentially leveling the playing field. Has that been the case, or is it swings? Yeah, around? I mean, I think it. I think it absolutely has. I think for us, um, ironically, it's been it's been quite a positive thing. Um, we we were always competing against everybody, you know, the bigger brands um, for space. And when that space has been restricted, or so heavily restricted, and and so heavily sort of um, uh, legislated against, I suppose that has meant that the playing field now is is much much more level. So. Haribo can't simply outbid us and take an end of aisle somewhere. Yeah, we, we all have the same stuff to go after. And I think at that point, then it's down to the consumer to pick which is the best product. Um, and if you have to walk down the aisle, you can't be sort of bought by some kind of gimmick or disrupted on your journey at till point. Um, so you, you're then really seeing the products that deliver on the benefit to the consumer, the sort of shared vision, um, whatever it may be. But I think consumers are now choosing products on a much, much more level playing field than before, which yeah. is quite exciting. And we're yeah. seeing that come through in in our numbers and our growth over the last year. Um, also, lots of retailers doing stuff sort of now uh, in aisle rather, which is the space they're allowed to play in as a result of HFSS. Um, so it's also perhaps forced retailers to rethink how they're trading in their stores and how they're using the shelf space that they have and not being lazy and saying, well, we know if we stick this right at the front of the store, it's going to sell lots of volume. It's kind of really, really easy. And then they would, so all they would try and do is just everybody, every single buyer wants to put every single product on that space at front of the store. And you obviously can't do that. So it's forced people to get a bit more creative. And I think it's been quite an exciting year actually for, for retail. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Let's talk about um, carbon neutrality then and go on to a bit about B Corp. So, yeah. um, um big supplies so yeah uh, what were the big supply chain challenges for your i'm assuming so let me get this get the timeline right first did you become carbon neutral before uh catcher am i saying catcher right as well because i catches yeah catcher catchers catchers yeah so did, did you become carbon neutral before um you 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 partnered with catchers or or after uh so we that was after 
um, right. and probably a, a year or two after, I think, in terms of them making the product. They have a carbon uh, neutral status or had a carbon neutral status as a brand within their own, for their own products. Um, and it was something that they were doing as a, as a total kind of organization. Um, and we, we joined them on that. There was an opportunity to join and we, and we did that. Um, I think it's a really nice sort of added extra to show that, that we, as a signal to the consumer that we're, we're sort of doing the right thing and we believe in the right thing. Yeah. I think that that, that picture's changed slightly in the last 12 months. Um, as more and more brands have joined in with that kind of claim, it's, it's evident that more people are, are simply offsetting the carbon rather than removing it from the supply chain. So it's quite easy to do that. You, you, you calculate how much carbon uh, you generate or create, emit, and then you, you pay for tokens essentially to offset that. And then there's lots of sort of uh, speculation out there around how much is really being offset, where that money really goes, et cetera. And it, it's become a bit of a murky topic. And I also think when those things become so broad, the claim kind of gets diluted as well. If every brand is making that claim, it sort of loses its meaning. Yeah. So we're we're reviewing that at the moment. I think we'd much rather work throughout the supply chain to reduce the impact, remove the impact in its entirety rather than offset. Yeah. And we're looking at sort of some new targets that we'll be setting ourselves more around this kind of net zero goal rather than carbon neutrality yeah. um and i think that's that's potentially more exciting um and we're, we're working out how we'll we'll manage that message to the consumer because ultimately there's there's a balance i think between what's right for the planet or, or whatever the target is that you're trying to work towards a benefit on um and what what the consumer likes to touch and feel and there's lots of examples perhaps where people are using paper so-called paper packaging um because it feels nice to the consumer and everybody gets a nice warm fuzzy feeling that they're using paper but actually that paper is lined with a laminated with a plastic layer or has something else in it that makes it non-recyclable and it's you know then clogs up the whole recycling stream because you, you feel like you can recycle it but you can't um and, and that's the kind of thing where i think we can mislead consumers and i think the carbon neutral thing has the risk of being a similar challenge yeah. Um, the, the benefit of using third-party manufacturers in our case, though, is that we can really handpick those partners. So we will only work with people if our goals around carbon or sustainability more generally are aligned in the first place. So we obviously have um, sort of criteria that we set in terms of what we're looking for within our product. And then we'll only work with people if they can kind of meet that criteria. So that that also puts us in a favorable position rather than say having your own factory and having to invest millions in solar, we can just go straight to the factory that already has solar. Um, but, so that's, that's that's a big benefit. but that kind of, uh, and, and I think that's what they were hoping, you know, when we're, when we're looking for, for businesses to respond as at net zero is, um, mm. um, is, is that up chain and down chain pressure purchasing power that you've got and and so you know um, I was talking to a customer a few months ago um, and they were just talking about making the most out of the warehouse space and the solar paneling yep. and, and, and then obviously from a logistics firm going electrical we have a, a customer called Teva I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that okay. right have you heard of them T-E-V-E-T-E-V-A yeah, yeah it rings a bell yeah so they're doing a hybrid um, sort of HGV uh, manufacturer 
um, and it's hydrogen and something else. It's kind of submarine technology. Fasc really fascinating. Okay. They've, got, they've got shares as well. I'm very interested, keeping a close eye. <laughs> and, um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, really exciting. British manufacturing, HGVs. That. So, so, so um, I think, yeah, just that purchasing power coming down from you, uh, up, up supply chain, and, and then those businesses having to make... Uh, make changes the um so yeah, just you mentioned the buzzword net zero there uh, how so from from an internal point of view do you have someone looking after that specifically uh, or have you come together as a board and 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 um had a look at what's required and 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 put some benchmarks in place or some targets in place what how are you tackling that yes yeah, so um we absolutely do look at that internally i mean i think there's well there's all, all the layers you mentioned really so first of all at a board level um i suppose as part of our b core commitment we're all in agreement as as directors of the business that we're, we're putting people and planet ahead of profit so that's that's sort of a fundamental principle i suppose of that leads our decision making um and then internally we have our um operations lead our head of who heads up all of our operations and supply chain who is tasked with um getting the product from A to B, but doing that in the most efficient way possible. So over the last year, we've done a lot of work in terms of removing waste. Um, is this so Dan? Sometimes is this Dan? That is, that is Dan, yeah, the famous yeah. Dan. Um, <laughs> often, often I think people really want kind of big, exciting, sort of groundbreaking ideas to solve these, these tricky problems, but it's really can be done with some quite simple sort of low-level thinking. Um, so just removing waste from the product, we'd removed, for example, a reseal from our packaging. So the insight was that it was, we felt that it was a really nice thing to have, but actually when we spoke to consumers, most people were eating the whole bag of sweets without, without resealing it. And, and we prefer if they did want to reseal it to put a peg or a clip on, on yeah. their bag at home. Nice. And know that the, the, the packaging had 20% less plastic. Um, so that, that was something we did overnight and it was, you know, really simple little things like that, that, that don't necessarily, it's not rocket science. Um, but Dan leads those kind of initiatives internally and is always sort of working to reduce those things. We've got little things like pallet efficiency has been huge for us. So changing the case size of the product, we've been able to, you know, almost add 30% more product to, to a pallet, yeah. reduces the number of trucks on the road, that kind of thing. It also improves the knock-on effect of that is we're improving the amount of stock on shelf at retailers as well which is great um yeah. so there's lots of little things uh, but then we also do work with a, a couple of third-party sort of consultants as well right. um they kind of keep these things on track from an outside perspective and and help us move them along so we're we're not afraid to ask the experts when we we run out of the answers ourselves and i think we do that just across the board really um but yeah it's a uh, uh, not necessarily a project with a, a clear end line. I think it's one that will just keep evolving and we have this sort of um, restlessness just to keep doing better, I suppose. Yeah, really nice. So it took you about three uh, three years, I read, to get your B Corp. D d is, that, mm. is that just one person's job in the business or is that, again, sort of like a committee um, effort that's yeah. away at that? So we... We took a few different approaches, to be honest. And I think at the beginning, we thought, wouldn't it be lovely if everybody could get involved in this and the whole team wanted to and everybody was behind it. But the, the reality is you ultimately do need 
kind of one person to push that over the line. Um, so we we had uh, one person in the team that did a really great job of managing that from a sort of really owning the project and then yeah. pulling in the people that she needed for every bit. The the beauty of B Corp is that it, it I don't think it can really be one person's job. It, it does affect every single part of the business. So at one point or another, everyone's got to answer a question and everyone's got to fill in something and, and provide the information. So that's really great. And it's a nice part of, I think, the process, um, bringing people together behind that kind of shared goal. Um, because ultimately, once you've got the certificate, it's all that it's a joint shared responsibility then to keep it. And I think that's also really important. We don't want people working in the company that, you know, are detached from that in any way. Um, you've got to sort of keep it going. So we had one person doing it. It does just take an awfully long time. And I think my advice to anybody starting out now would be to try and if you want B Corp and you're interested in that, is to look yeah. at it as early as possible because the the further you go down the, the road, the more perhaps you've set up that needs to be corrected or adapted to fit the B Corp model. Um, yeah. And we, we had to do quite a lot of that. Um, it's also a really great sort of checklist of, what a business maybe needs. Right. Um, yes. we'd, never, we'd never had anybody, for example, in I think we were sort of seven or eight years in when we started the B Corp thing. At that point, we'd never had anybody go on maternity leave. So we didn't have a maternity or, or parental uh, leave policy. Yeah. So then we said, okay, well, what would it... And then you start to look at that and put one in place and, and you build all these things out that you just didn't know you necessarily needed because they haven't yet come up. So it's a really good kind of checklist. And... Um, Nice. It takes a long time, but I'd say it's it's really worth it. Nice. That's, that's good insights. Um, um, so switching slightly, m m moving away from uh, B Corps and sustainability to, yeah. do, do you ever worry um, the big players, Haribo and the like, can will start to mimic you, copy you, take, is it, can they do that? Is <clears throat> it possible? Do you think it's something that will happen soon? Um, or is it just? Look, I mean, I think there are, there are probably a couple of examples where we feel we've been copied, we've, right. we've been copied already, and I think you've got to sort of try and take that as a compliment where you, where you can. Um, the we're, we're obviously much closer to our own product and and really precious about the things we're we're doing, so we perhaps are a little bit more on the lookout than the consumer or anybody else might be. But we've seen examples where where people have definitely, I would say, taken that inspiration. Um, but I don't think it's something that keeps us up at night generally. I feel we're really confident that what we're building um, is quite special and unique in the category yeah. and, and people can come along and try and copy that, but they'll never be the first. And, you know, you can you can copy, but is it as good as the real thing, I think, is what we like to, we like to try and tell ourselves. Yeah. Um, well, it struck me that it's not just what, like if now you have the B Corp and, you know, carbon neutral um yeah and vegan and 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 no palm oil and all of the other things that aren't there if you like um yeah well, it, it, you can mimic but it, it ultimately you're going to have to fundamentally change a lot of your supply chain to truly because yeah. actually if, you, if you've got if you've got consumers buying with their their head and their heart which is what you probably have in the main it's going to be very difficult to match that isn't it surely I think it's tricky, and particularly when we talk about vegan. I mean, I think we're really sort of we're, we we are right at the um, the front of the category on that. We're really sort of leading, I think, by example in terms of what could be 
the future of suites. Um, and to take quite a big example, perhaps, but if you think about electric vehicles, Tesla are the innovator in that space. BMW or Mercedes can now make an electric car, but they're doing that alongside their petrol and diesel traditional range. And the, that's what they're known for. They've been doing it for hundreds of years, polluting the environment. It's very difficult for them to stand up and say, we really believe in electric. Whereas for Tesla, they've only ever made an electric vehicle. Therefore, you know, that's sort of got real authenticity. They really care about that. They're really championing that technology. The other guys are then just copycats. They're just sort of falling in line because they've got they've had the pressure to do that. And I think that's sort of how we see this in our, our own small way. You know, we can we can really lead and innovate in this space and be the first. And I think nobody else can ever be the first once we've done that. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Um I think we, we've, we've talked about catches. Um, let's move on to Tuck Shop. So um, I probably yeah. try and talk about Tuck Shop, but, but essentially, <laughs> you, but, um, you guys have set up this, what would you call yourselves, an incubator or a consultancy or yeah, I mean, Tuck Shop? <laughs> Yeah, I think we're we're still trying to we're still trying to figure out the full definition of tuck shop, I guess, and we we haven't put any of those nice big words on it, particularly because we're trying to to sort of build that as we go. I guess really simply, we feel as at, at the point where we've been running Candy Kittens for ten years, we we sort of looked at it and said, okay, we've now learned so much in that time. Let's look back on that and work it out. And actually, a lot of the stuff we were learning in year one to five, we don't use anymore because we're now at a point where we're scaling a business yeah. rather than trying to establish one. And if we're not careful, all of that stuff that we learned and, and benefited from, we're just going to forget because yeah. it's sort of in the back of our minds somewhere going to waste. And we really wanted to try and pick that up and, and put it into other people who are in our shoes trying to do the same thing. So we've been working with a couple of different businesses to try and try and do that and really help them kind of hopefully accelerate that, that learning curve. Um, but it's a really tricky space. I mean, there are so many people, and I think perhaps since COVID, particularly, lots of people have sort of had that feeling or urge to to go and try something themselves. Um, and we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of brands kind of pop up, you know, every year. And, and it's hyper, hyper competitive. And I think you've got to be really, really good to succeed. So we're we're doing our best to try and help some of those people kind of rise to the top. And there's some great ideas out there. I think it comes down to funding sometimes, but more often than not, it's, it's about sort of the determination and um, kind of patience that people have to to make something work because it takes a lot, lot longer than anybody wants to realise. Um, but hopefully yeah. Touch Shop gives those tools to people to to make it a bit easier along the way. Do you, are you kind of inundated? Like, is it something, do you get everywhere you go now, do people sort of throw their product at you? And, and sort of... Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that. And whenever we talk about it, we then get, you know, another another 15 emails or something. And I think that like, it's that great. Out of the interview. <laughs> no, no, I, I really enjoy it. And actually, it's really fun to go through these kind of pitch decks and have the have the meetings of people and understand what people are trying to achieve. And and ultimately, we're always really, really happy to have a conversation, right? One of the big things yeah. we benefited from, and I think I said it right at the start, was was just talking to people and asking lots of questions. And that's free. That doesn't cost anything. And we're more than happy to to kind of oblige and do that um, because we got lots and lots of great free advice that helped us get to this point. So if we can do the same for others, then we'll, we will. So really enjoy that. Really enjoy meeting people and talking about their ideas. And I think sometimes it's nice to 
um, back the things that we feel. What? Well, well, actually, I'll start again. At that point, we will only back the things that we, yeah. where we feel we really can add value. So there's a lot of things that you know, great ideas. Um, an idea for a new barbecue business I thought we saw the other day. Fantastic, lovely product, brilliant. But we know absolutely nothing about kind of uh, cooking hardware or whatever you want to call that. We we're very much in kind of snacking and kind of impulse. That's what we know yeah. know that world quite well. We're also trying where possible just to get involved with plant based businesses because it's sort of then hopefully. <laughs> they all kind of complement each other and have shared experiences as well. It's quite good to put, I used to work at um, Vodafone a very long time ago and you get inundated with uh, sponsorship requests and ultimately the business put a kind of filter on requests coming in, a charity requests and that kind of thing. And the filter that we came up with was communication. If it was a charity that helped others communicate, it would then we would then sort of look at it um, and ended yeah, up... Yeah, because otherwise it's so difficult because you to, to try and assess every single one on its individual merits is, is very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and ultimately so, we ended up seeing yeah, that with, um, an autistic society, you know, which is all about you know, yeah. an inability to communicate and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think it's always been something that I've carried with me is you can't help everybody and you can't, but you can't, like, for example, I was just talking to the head of sales, Josh, yesterday, and I was like... Do you know about nude? You know the the chewing gum yeah. that you've been helping. And oh yeah, they're a customer. And I was like, oh okay. Oh <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> that, I good. didn't realize nude. I didn't realize nude were using any. So that's great. Um, but it's little things like that where through Tuck Shop, where if we're able to say to nude, okay, you're struggling with this thing. Okay, we use Unleash. There's the system packaged. Speak to Dan in our team who's already running that. He can give you you know a couple of hours download, get you set up. Then if you want, you've got this problem with I don't know uh where your warehouse okay well we've got a great warehouse come and just slot in and use these guys and and hopefully we can kind of integrate the, the thing the businesses in that way and um saves an awful lot of time because we perhaps spent two years figuring out what else was out there before landing on unleashed we can you know that two years doesn't need to be there for someone like here at nude yeah yeah awesome i'm excited to see where new goes my daughter's really into chewing gum and I'm forever giving her lectures about clothes and not buying new clothes and, and you know, my yeah. plastic in your mouth. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, it's just something else, mom, that I have to think about. I'm like, yes, yes, India. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to think about all these things. And I think the chewing gum one is brilliant. I mean, Nude's such a fantastic uh, brand, but I think the story particularly is what got us really, really excited. Nobody realises how much plastic is in, is in chewing gum. Um, and then it's this kind of everybody kind of you see the jaw drop when you tell them that it's the same plastic as a straw in every single piece. And that, I think, is it sort of does the job for them. So, yeah, really bright future for you, we hope. Yeah, very exciting. I'm going to watch that one. So I've got um, you're doing very well. Are you OK? I've got three more questions. Yeah, all good. All good, all good. <laughs> OK, brilliant. Um, so I read somewhere that you're around about 10 million sales and you want to shift to <clears throat> 50 million. I don't know if you've got a time frame on that. But it strikes me that obviously with all the goodness that's going on and has gone on for Candy Kittens, how do you how do you sustain all that But and grow uh, is my sort of question to know. And you probably don't have the answers, but I just thought you, <laughs> you, just thought you might throw that one at you and see, um, is there anything that comes to mind that you th- think might be a challenge in that respect? <clears throat> um... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're sort of, we're on that road. It's a, it's a sort of undefined, I guess, uh, timeline in, 
yeah. in reality. We've got some, I guess, private ideas about when and how we'll get there. Um, we're, we're edging closer already. The last year has been a great year of really gaining distribution for us um, in the UK. I think the big thing has been has been building in focus. So a lot of small businesses, and we were absolutely guilty of this, kind of run around grabbing every single opportunity you can because essentially you're sort of desperate to, to get the ball rolling. <clears throat> so you'll take a sale from Waitrose, but at the same time, you're also selling some stuff to a guy that's got three sweet shops in Birmingham and you're selling some stuff to a guy that's got something going on in Brighton. You're just running around doing everything. Um, and what we've really forced ourselves to do in the last 18 months is to build in this real, real kind of laser focus on um, UK grocery. So we, we're really now not doing an awful lot of export. We do still do some export business, but it's stuff that comes to us. We're not proactively kind of looking for it or managing it. Um, we're focused totally on the UK and we see that so much headroom there that we could probably take the brand to 100 million um, without leaving UK grocery. So that's been a huge, huge benefit. And I think the risk is to, or the challenge is to keep to keep the team focused, continually kind of rein people back in. We, we have a really excellent team of young people that are super ambitious super enthusiastic and kind of brimming with ideas yeah. and it's about trying to make sure funnel those ideas behind that that one goal yeah. rather than add on multiple goals and that that can be really tricky because i feel like i'm always the sort of party pooper that's pulling <laughs> people back but one when, when we first started somebody told me and it's always sort of stuck with me that the very easy thing to do in FMCG is sell more products, but the hard thing to do is work out how to sell more of the product you have. And if you look at, you know, some of the giants, um, Mars being one, I know Mars are now a, a manufacturer of much more than just confectionery, but but Mars, the chocolate bar, is effectively just one Mars bar. And they've built, you know, a huge, huge business around effectively one product. Yes, now they have perhaps different sizes and formats of that thing, and they've they stretched themselves in lots of different directions, but for a long part of their history, they were one single product. And, and I think that is a, the way we like to think about things. Or you could perhaps take marketing campaigns. McDonald's have had, I'm loving it for as long as I can remember. Mm. Um, I'm sure every single year, somebody in their marketing team is saying, come on guys, we need to have another campaign now. Come on, everyone's a bit bored of this. And someone somewhere in that business is saying, no, We'll stick to it. It's not broken. Let's keep going and keep it yeah. consistent. Yeah. And and I'm unfortunately that boring person that can be getting <laughs> people know stick to it. We keep to it. and and that's what we're trying to really really build out is sort of stick to one thing that's working and and get as consistent and focused as possible. Um, but it's a challenge and not easy. I was gonna I was gonna say to you I had something on the weekend. Oh, I've gotten rid of it. It's a it's um a jelly mix in M and S. And it was in this yeah. lovely tin and it came with white chocolate coated popcorn and chocolate coated pretzels, but also with jellies, jelly beans. And okay, I, yeah, nice. I bought it for the kids because I've been away for a few days <clears throat> and um, yeah. sat and devoured the whole thing. And my six year old was <laughs> like chocolate colored pretzels. <laughs> like, who was just off his head on this thing? It was just like, yeah, what yeah. Egg? it's got salt in it and it's got sugar in it. Yeah, yeah, everything you want. All <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, you wouldn't, so you, uh, this is what you're trying to do. Like if someone said, oh, let's do chocolate colored pretzels. You'd be like, no, 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 no. 
No, we're going to yeah, just... and actually, Jamie, Jamie is the out of the two of us. Jamie is the one that always has these ideas. Chocolate covered <laughs> sweets was an idea that he had for a while. Yeah, and he was constantly bringing in chocolate, melting it in the microwave in the office, and then dipping sweets in, and then letting them dry on the side for a couple of days, and then and trying to convince everybody that this was the next big thing. But I mean, there are great ideas out there, and I think there's a, a place for that. Um, but for us, we're really trying to say, okay, we can do gummy sweets really, really well. Yeah. And we can be great at that thing. Um, let's, let's keep pushing that further and, and get, get ahead of the pack even more, um, by focusing further. And I, and I think, you know, there's, there's lots of examples with that for different brands as, has been a success. Um, And can can you sustain all of the B Corp promises and all of your net zero targets and that growth with the structures you have in place is that is that something? yeah i think so i think that, i mean one of the things we're really uh sort of adamant on is keeping the things as lean and tight as possible so we still have a relatively small team um and that i think allows us to do that because we've got a total of about 20 22 people and, and we're having very close relationships with all of those people they, they all have their own individual responsibilities in the business but also there's a lot of blurred lines where people work on different things. Everyone knows what's going on in each area. So I think that allows us to keep on top of those things and stay true to, to sort of what we started. Um, and I guess the challenge is to make sure that new people that join kind of come into that system and, and, and sort of live and breathe it in the same way we are now. So that's, that's always there, but I think we're confident that we can keep it on the right track. And by bringing in the very best people that, that really sort of get behind the, the total vision of the company, um, it feels like it's uh, it's more than achievable. And actually, the, 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 these people can push it up further than we could push it on our own, I think, sometimes. So, yeah, it's been a big benefit. I've got one more question, but before I ask that, I, I, it was something that popped into my head about you, you when you were saying you were removing the resale um, Piece. Yeah, actually fascinating because they never bloody work. I, the one on yeah. that I was using last night, I was like, "What is this thing? And why does it never really work?" Yeah, completely pointless. Those things. Yeah. <laughs> how did you how did you canvas your um, customer base to get that feedback? Just out of interest for listeners. Yeah, so we've um, we've got a social media audience um, that's that's fairly um, active, and we have kind of an active community. Yeah. We're also quite lucky that we've got quite a large community, but I don't think this example really matters. Whether you're talking to 100,000 people or 100, I think it's still a good sort of uh, feel for what people are thinking. So we, we can poll that audience through um, socials. We also have kind of an email list. We, there's different ways that we do that, um, but we'll try and be quite quick. We're, we also sort of, whether it's um, by design or not, I'm not sure, or just pure luck, but our our team tend to be quite a good reflection of our customer as well. I guess the people that like the brand buy into the product are probably the people that end up, you know, applying for jobs with us as well. Um, so we, we do a lot of that kind of internal sort of focus groups and that kind of thing amongst our own team. Um, but ultimately I think sometimes you've just got to take a, a leap of faith and, and test these things. You can always go back, um, but testing it in real life on shelf um there's some sort of quote i think from a from ogilvy about you know market research that doesn't work because people just tell you tell you what you want to hear essentially um i i, I haven't got the quote now i've really butchered it but there, there's they people never ever tell you 
the, you know, the truth. If I say, if you ask me what magazines I read, oh, well, I read Vogue magazine, GQ, and it, it, I want to sound, you know, this inflated idea of myself. You don't actually tell you the, the, the truth. Um, so putting the product out there on shelf and seeing what happens, I think, is ultimately the test. Yeah. And in our case, we saw absolutely no downside, no complaints, nobody even sort of battered an eyelid, um, which is amazing because you can actually get really hung up on these things, I think, when you talk about it yourself. Um, so yeah, the, everyone's got pegs, happens. you know. Well, I love a peg. I keep pegs in my gallery yeah. drawer. <laughs> and the plastic and the, and the plastic thing is such a big issue. I think ultimately, if you say to somebody, "This is twenty percent less plastic," that's a really kind of tangible thing that everybody now understands. So, yeah, that was it. Was quite easy in the end. The, the, uh, my last question is: um, What's your best bit of advice for food and bed brands looking to scale? But before you answer that. We can't see the top word of the map on your yeah. mantelpiece, and I know yeah, it's yeah, okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, here we go. It's, it's uh, yeah. There we go. So I'm I'm Welsh, and um, yeah, this is uh, my reminder. I'm not unfortunately not sat in Wales. Oh. That's my reminder. That I, should, I I wish I was. I'm not Welsh, but I went to university in Wales, and I played for Welsh University, okay, great. and I kind of grew up in a place. Well, our caravan site was the place. And called Trellich near Monmouth. So yeah, okay, great. We had a massive Welsh contingent at our wedding. It was very good. Yeah. It's a very good idea to have a massive Welsh contingent at any wedding, in my my, my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good singing, good singing. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was I'm sure. Yeah, um, no, good. Um, I wish I was there, but I'm not, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I love it, by the way. It's a lovely piece of lovely piece of art. The um. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you could probably give a 100 bits of advice, but I suppose maybe today, of all days, um, what would be, mm. so if you look into, if you, if you take yourself back to the, you know, early days, maybe, um, pre-unleashed, pre-operations manager, um, you know, when you had the good idea walking around and a little bit of a brand walking around IMS, what would be your advice to I think um, something that something I think about quite a lot is um, trying to to put yourself in the mindset that, that most people are going to say no to you, uh, and it sounds quite negative, but, and it but it's <laughs> that the the really kind of stupid, arrogant um, thing to think is that your idea is the best idea in the world, and it's going to change everything, and everybody needs it, and everybody's going to love it, and it's just. You just can't understand why they're saying no. Whereas actually, if you flip that the other way and think nobody actually needs this, these new suites, nobody needed candy kittens when we came up with the idea. None of these manufacturers needed to make our product because we were so tiny that we wouldn't make a dent in their, in their business or improve anything for them. We would just be a pain. None of the retail buyers needed a product that didn't exist. And, and none of the consumers needed to buy vegan yeah. sweets because they were all happy with gelatin. So actually our job then is to flip that no into a yes. And and I think you then instinctively start to just work so, so much harder, or, or we did anyway. So we had to go and find reasons. We knew the factory was going to say no. So our first opening line would have been a design to try and try and switch that into a yes from the bat. And, and I think that's something that's been really, really useful for us. So working with buyers, uh, we've really put a lot of work up front into how you send those samples across to a retailer, how you send your first email, how you send your first presentation. And we talked about Tuck Shop and the number of kind of pitches we get for investment. 
I, I can't tell you how many emails we get that are badly spelt, addressed to the wrong person because they're copy and pasting and firing off 10 an hour. And they, you know, all these kind of really simple things where people just haven't put enough attention into the detail how to really capture me or Jamie or whoever. And I think, you know, trying to turn those no's into yeses is, is the job. So believe everyone's going to say no and, and figure out how you're going to change it around. That's, that's my, my biggest piece of advice, I think. And really sound piece of advice too. I had, um, I think that's it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for giving your time to us and no um, problem at all. And everyone who's listening. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just think the value of speaking to you for an hour is is man- manifest manifold really because it's your value, but lots of value for everyone else who's listening. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know how valuable it is. I mean, I've waffled on probably quite a lot, but hopefully there's a couple of things here or there that are interested to someone <laughs> out there. It's a, it's a tough old uh, journey, I think, to to chip away and really sort of be the, the underdog in these categories. So for us, we're lucky that 11, 12 years in, it's we're starting to turn a corner where we feel like we're onto something. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you are listening and, and following a similar path, keep at it. And, you know, some of those tougher moments eventually uh, start to become worth it. At the end of the day, it's about, well, I think it's about product, you know, like I feel like I'm, I've been here four or five years and I love the product and I love the way we help challenge your brands out, smaller businesses out, uh, fight the fight the big fight. And I mean, like we had your suites on a little, um, we invited our gold partners last week for a bit of an event and there was a pot of kind of rainbow, I, I should know the name of them, um, but I stole a pot for the way home, had about a four or five hour journey the way home and it was, I just couldn't stop. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And you don't feel sick. That's even worse. Like when you start to eat a lot of jelly sweets, normally you get that kind of, you get a bit bilious yeah. about four or five yeah. in. And I was like, no, no, there must be one of my five a day or something. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> so I think ultimately yeah. when you buy a great product, um, it's a very strong backbone for everything. Um, so congrats. 